the USL show, also known as The View for Soccer. I gave a very pro wrestling heel turn, I'm sorry you were offended apology. The US military discussing what a Naruto run is for the Area 51 raid. I feel angry. Everybody to the USL show. We have a very special guest. He hasn't been here in a couple years, I think, uh, but he is back to join us tonight, and I'm very excited to talk to him. It's the president of the United Soccer League, Jake Edwards. Thank you for joining me. Yeah, hi Phil. Good to be back with you. Um, it's uh, we're in a different uh, world right now, and it's been uh, a while since we spoke. But um, I appreciate you having me back on the show. Lots has happened since we uh, since we last uh, got to chat with each other. Indeed, it has, and uh, I just want to jump right in to our uh to our show because we don't have a lot of time but i want to start with the good news we're coming back we have returned to play it has officially been announced starting over uh this weekend july 11th saturday and i want to ask you about the beginning to the end the cure and i'm I'm definitely curious about how it it went down and and all the safety precautions that you guys are are putting in place but also to kind of compare that to some problems mls has and um you know the possibility of that in the future tell me all about it yeah, it's been a, a long journey, a lot of uh, hard work, uh, long hours put in by a lot of people um, in the in the league and across the league, the league uh, at, at the clubs as well. And so for us, the process began uh, back in early March uh, as we um, paused the season on March 12th. And, and even prior to that, we began working on how do we uh, how do we approach um, this, uh, this this virus and how do we get back on the field? And um uh, it, it was a, a real challenge for all sports leagues and, of course, a lot of uh, other industries as well. Um, we uh, we set up a uh, an internal task force um, comprised of members of uh, each of the leagues, uh, as well as uh, medical experts from across the country, some of the more prestigious universities and medical facilities such as Johns Hopkins and University of uh, Tennessee and Northwestern University. So some of the top medical experts working with uh, our clubs and and our league office uh, to think about how we can get back on the field uh, and manage all of those uh, elements of the stadia and travel, et cetera, in in the safest possible way. Um, We all wanted to be back on the field. We all want to play, but everything uh, we uh, had to uh, put together, first and foremost, it was how can we mitigate risk? How could we be as safe as possible? Um, so all those medical experts uh, in that field were just phenomenal to work with. Uh, we'd also sat on task forces with uh, other pro leagues and other professional uh, football leagues, such as MLS and NWSL, uh, and with the U.S. Soccer Foundation. And there was a national task force that met regularly there to, because um, obviously we're all dealing with the same challenges, to share best practices and, and work out how to do this. Uh, we spent time with the NBA and Major League Baseball and other leagues as well. So everybody was working together and learning from each other and, and, and thinking about what was right for their particular league. And we're all different and we all ultimately had different uh, final outcomes in terms of how uh, we were uh, approaching this. But the result of all that work uh, culminated in a, a what is about a 51-page return to play protocols document that we have now published on our website. And for those that are interested, um, certainly uh, suggest having a look at that. But it was a really 
robust set of protocols, how we would uh, manage uh, return to play and, and uh, mitigate risk. Um, that was a, a, a key component of, of being able to consider uh, coming back to play uh, and have the players uh, and the Players Association um, ultimately sign off on those protocols and the club sign off on those protocols. The second part of the, uh, the challenge was then to work out from a competitive point of view and a competition structure point of view, how do we return, what changes do we need to make to, again, uh, put health and safety first and foremost, mitigate as much risk as possible. Uh, and so we explored a number of competition options, uh, as all the leagues did. Um, we explored and did the work behind a potential hub model, uh, which you saw some other leagues have, have, have uh, moved forward with. Um, but ultimately, our clubs decided that um, that wasn't the right approach for them. Um, we have a size and scale uh, across the championship that were, enabled us to restructure into divisional uh, into divisional um, uh, groups uh, of eight uh, and, uh, you know, four or five clubs per. And we could um, vastly limit air travel and get the teams mostly on coaches uh, in that model. And for our clubs, really, um, you know, they, the, our clubs are, are, are not just football clubs and they, and they see themselves and they are um, members of their community, their community organizations. So it was really important for our clubs to find a way to get back into their home stadiums and into their communities to play. And so for us, that was the uh, more appropriate way to do it. And that's how we've uh, uh, gone about it. And it has been uh, you know, a few months of, of hard work by everybody. Um, but we're excited to see the teams take the field again this weekend. And, and you'll see a lot of the games on national television now over the, uh, over the next uh, few days. And you'll see uh, some great storylines, like finally the opening of the new stadium in Louisville, uh, on the SBN2 on Sunday. So uh, nice to see the teams take the field again. Yeah, and without the USLPA agreeing to this, um, you know, I don't, you probably could have gone back to play. You chose to work with the USLPA, and the story started very rocky. You know, Ruder labeled the large rift that was between you two on the, on the, on the agreement. And um, I was curious if you could give us a, a behind the scenes look um, at what that's like. Um, it involves lawyers. We saw how dirty it got with the MLS and with MLS and MLSPA. And so I'm kind of curious how it went on the USL side as far as coming to an agreement. It, it ended pretty, pretty good on the uh, on the player side, in my opinion. How did how did you feel about it? Uh, I felt good, um, as you said. Look, we we have a great group um, on both sides of the table, uh, and uh, everyone's coming from the same place now. Um, the uniqueness of the USL is that it is run by former players. I'm a former professional player, as is uh, Alec Papadakis, and we have a number of players that played collegiately. But uh, with that, you get a, a you know a, a real sense of organisational empathy. We know what the players have been through. We've walked in their shoes, um, and so that that um, that colours the approach that we take here. And uh, you know, because of that, I've got a tremendous amount of respect for who we sit across the table with. And Connor and Tommy and Trey uh, have been doing phenomenal work and um, uh, are really passionate about making this league the best possible league it can be. And we have a lot of shared and common goals uh, in that respect, you know, and that is that we want to make sure we have the best possible standards for our players, given where we are now as an organization and where we aspire to get to. Um, so yeah, a lot of work went into that. C CBAs, uh, by, um, virtue of what you've got to go through are not easy, 
negotiations. Um, we were in the middle of a CBA negotiation, uh, and that was put on pause as we then had to pivot to a return to play uh, model. And uh, as you said, we did enough work to um, to make sure the uh, the players and the uh, and the union were comfortable with the protocols. We were in constant contact with them daily, um, uh, giving them updates and working through these uh, these challenging times with them. Um, and certainly, it was fantastic. We we can come to an agreement on a return to play model and um, get the boys back out there playing um, now. Uh, we uh, we start looking forward again, uh, which is exciting, and we're going to go um, uh, back into the CBA negotiations the end of this month, and then we're going to have uh, meetings every two weeks as we work to conclude uh, what is an exciting and historic CBA. It's the first ever CBA in, in USL history, so well, we're excited about that. Everyone's excited about that. And now, as we're back to the field, uh, we can return our focus on the longer-term agreement. Yeah, an article came out recently of the entire nation's PPP loans and and all of that. It seemed like there might have been a, a nice pivot in um, moving forward with return to play from the owner's side once perhaps money was funneled in, it seemed like. And I don't know if that's just, that's me guessing from the outside, of course. Uh, but I am curious about the owner's views. They're the ones taking a large majority of the financial hit here, uh, considering the players are all going to get paid fully. I'm sure the league is as well. We all know that um, not everyone is keeping their jobs. There have been furloughs and things like that on all levels uh, that we don't enjoy. We don't like to hear those sort of things. Uh, but can you give us an owner side of the story, some of the things that they had trouble with at first that they ended up agreeing to in the end? Well, I have to say, uh, the the um, you know, I, I think one of the, um, if, if you can find a silver lining in, in this, uh, for me, one of it is the unity um, that that is that is bred out of going through a very intense, stressful situation as a collective. I think about my days on a team. It's a very intense environment, competitive. It's challenging. It's 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 a, it's a lot of pressure, and you've got to get through that with unity, with open, honest dialogue, uh, and you've got to listen. And you've got to find solutions, and that's what we've had to do here uh, with our owners in both leagues. And and I think I'm so proud of actually, uh, it was a lot of hard work, but I'm so proud of how our teams have all come together, whether it was returning to play, leaning into this global pandemic, investing heavily into what will be a very difficult season or two now, given the match day revenue dependency of our clubs and making sure that our players were protected, as you said, they've, um, and paying the players throughout this and finding a way to navigate a very challenging situation uh, and we've got through that. And and I think coming out of this, our teams, um, top to bottom and within the organizations, uh, uh, come out a, a much stronger unit than we were when we went into this because we are now meeting with players' unions. We're meeting with our owners. We're meeting with all the different levels of the clubs um, on a daily basis. The communication uh, back and forward has, has, has never been like this before. And we've tackled some tough, tough situations together. Uh, and I think that bodes well for how we how we come out of this. So I I I, I am really proud of the ownership and how they um, have have uh, managed the um, not just the work with the players, but everything that we've had to go through. And bear in mind, a lot of the owners obviously have lots of other companies and businesses they run that are all trying to navigate this and and potentially furloughing staff and trying to get back staff back into into work, etc. So it's been 
it's a lot of stress and pressure on on everybody, and they've been phenomenal um, to make sure we protect the integrity of the league and the clubs uh, and look after the players and make sure we come through this together. So I think they've been um, they've been phenomenal to work with. Uh, and, and um, you know, for sure, it's been a tough road. There's been ups and downs and bumps and arguments, and, and but we've come through it and we've come through it much stronger for it. And that'll bode well for us as a league uh, with, um, with where we're going and any future challenges and opportunities ahead of us. Well, speaking of future challenges and opportunities, uh, you also mentioned phrases like unity and talking things out. Uh, Black Lives Matter, this became uh, something that came to the forefront of everyone's lives here in, in our country and around the world. Um, it's been a challenge for sure. And, and one thing that I've been touting is that I've, I've enjoyed uh, or I've rather I've respected your response in utilizing uh, guys like Hugh Roberts and Brandon Miller have been very vocal in this situation. And you as a league utilize those players in your response. Can you talk about your response to Black Lives Matter and uh, how it's been working with those guys through this? You sure. I mean, first and foremost, uh, our league and myself, uh, you know, fully support the Black Lives Matter movement and, and put an end to the centuries of racism, oppression and systemic injustice we've seen here. Um, you know, with that said, I think the way we've approached this, it's an issue that we feel we need to do more listening uh, than talking or putting out corporate statements. And so that's why we felt it was important that we gave uh, black athletes across the championship and leap one the platform and the opportunity to share their experiences uh, firsthand. And that was powerful. Um, you know, guys like Hugh Roberts, Tim Howard, Michael Ancien, uh, numerous other individuals I've got a tremendous respect and admiration for. Um, you know, we've had uh, almost daily conversations on this with the Players Association and with our clubs on how best to do our part in support of this movement. Uh, and so in the short term, I think you'll see most players across the championship and League One wearing uh, Black Lives Matter armbands this weekend um, and for, uh, for the games ahead. Uh, you'll also see this weekend... Um, support for the movement on our national televised uh, broadcasts. Um, and, uh, you know, it's in, in the coming weeks, uh, something I'm, I'm really focused on here is that we're going to be creating a task force within the USL across our ecosystem uh, and task them with, um, with the work to provide recommendations uh, so our organization um, can best support the BLM movement going forward. Um, so I think, you know, as we think about this now and, and the, um, the coming together of returning to play and the um, major upheaval we're seeing uh, socially across the country in the Black Lives Matter movement, how do they come together? And, uh, you know, I think you'll see some short term initiatives um, and how we're going to play a role in this. Um, but I think uh, we can't look back on this uh, momentous moment and say all we did was wear armbands. Right. Um, so I think for us, it's, it's we're going to be looking to this task force to really help explore ways to create lasting change. Indeed. Um, one one tweet that you put out during this time was um, was that the league has never restricted fans or players in expressing themselves. Um, I very much liked that that is or I like that that's the way that the league works. I think that's uh, a very it's one of my favorite parts about the league. And in, and in those two areas, 
let's be honest, at least especially the guys that I hang out with at uh, the Beautiful Game Network, um, we tend to be a little bit right lean or left leaning, very progressive types, you could say, liberals, you could even say. Um, and so it's easy for us to get on board with free speech and you not limiting anybody in that way. Um, but recently, uh, Dan D'Amico has been very vocal on Twitter. Uh, he's the majority owner for Charlotte, as you know, just kind of informing the listeners here. Um, has been He's been touting some uh, opinions from the other side of the political spectrum. And so uh, he's not a player. He's an owner. He's not a fan. He's an owner. And I'm really kind of curious, since I have you on the line, how that's dealt with as a league, because um, many of your fans haven't been a fan of that. And so I know it affects your public relations in some ways. And so I'm curious about your thoughts on the topic. Yeah. Um, thanks, Phil. Look, we're, we're a large organization with many people uh, involved at many different levels with many different viewpoints. But um, let me be absolutely clear. Dan D'Amico does not speak on behalf of the USL. Uh, I'll tell you what we stand for. We stand for the support of equality, diversity, inclusion, and the right for all of our athletes to use their platforms as professionals and express themselves in whatever way that they see fit. And that's what we stand for. And that's what we support. Yeah, I think that's a, it's a nice summary. I really appreciate you uh, taking that on. And I think that's a good place to stop that. Um, let's talk about the future. I wasn't sure I'd get to ask you these questions. And I think we have a little bit of time here. Um, I want to talk about the dissolution of the USSDA and the USL Academy. There is quite a gap left in our country I'm not sure if you saw this coming and this is why you wanted to get the Academy going so soon, or if it just so happens that you had it going and now we have this problem, where does the USL stand in its Academy and the gap left in this country? Well, the USL Academy uh, program is a, is a fantastic initiative and it's a really important initiative as we think about the development of the professional game long-term and the role USL and its uh, a large number of clubs can play in that. And I think, I'll start by saying that regardless of the dissolution of the uh, the DA uh, recently, you know, we've been working on a development model um, that we felt made sense. And we've been doing that for quite some time. And that is a model that um, can foster the development pathways to the professional game uh, across our communities, but doing so in lockstep and partnership with some of the uh, uh, fantastic youth organizations um, that are in that are that are cohabit the marketplace with the USL clubs. You know, not to be doing this in a confrontational or adversarial way, uh, which I think has been uh, what we've seen over the last few years. Now, I think the DA, um, you know, achieved many positive things, but it also fell short in a number of areas. And we think that, given the almost 130 clubs and growing across. Uh, across this uh, country with uh, League Two, League One and the championship that um, as those clubs build academies and or partner with and affiliate with um, the great youth organizations in their communities, we can create such a fantastic platform and development um, platform to get these players that we know are falling through the cracks uh, or being excluded or having to make very difficult choices or having to leave their, their hometowns. And so... We've got the size, scale and reach. We've got a model now that is very inclusive and works together with all of the youth clubs. We have put a platform together uh, that has a single team with the idea you're good enough, uh, you're old enough. Uh, so a, a model that spans a couple of different age groups 
uh, with some limits on players um, per age group uh, in terms of numbers of players, a 15-year-old, 16-year-old, 17-year-old, to make up that squad. And they're going to be playing in events and in a league as of next year uh, with the professional clubs uh, across the USL's ecosystem. Now, we started this endeavour um, over 18 months ago, and we, st- we went into the 2019 season with what we call the USL Academy Cup Series, two regional events, one in San Antonio, one here in Florida. And uh, a number of our teams participated in that, and it was phenomenal. The level and quality on the field for these young players was, was fantastic, uh, and it was noticed. Uh, and it was done in, in, uh, in um, concert with, with uh, youth organizations in those, in those same communities. So it was very successful. Now, we wanted to build upon that going into the 21 uh, season, uh, a full academy league that will mirror the professional um, uh, season calendar as well from March to November. And so we're set now to do that. We've been finalizing the uh, standards that the clubs are going to have to meet in terms of uh, coaching education, infrastructure, field quality, etc., cetera, um, and making sure we are building those pathways from the youth game into the pro clubs. Uh, and more of our pro clubs now are signing academy players, whether from their own academy or from their affiliate academy, affiliate youth club academy, and they're bringing them into the first team now. And that's important that we see opportunities for players in St. Louis or Oklahoma City or Phoenix or um, any number of markets. They don't have to move out of the market to try and get with a professional club or a professional club academy that they have one on their doorstep. They can get into the professional game. They can get to the League One or the championship they're good enough, they can progress higher than that. So, it's a uh, it's a uh, you know it's a, a long term project, of course, um, and we're very excited about where it is so far. Um, as you say, DA has dissolved. Uh, other things are happening in the landscape, um, but this I think is going to be uh, this is going to be uh, very impactful uh, on the uh, future development of the game and and getting more players uh, into the professional level. Thank you. One one more topic I'd like to hit before we go. Um, it was announced that USL was possibly sinking, seeking a spot in the CONCACAF Champions League. And as a USL fan, I am extremely excited about that possibility. Um, some people are not excited about that possibility. They don't like that you would get another opportunity outside of the Open Cup. And so I want to hear your side of the story on this one. Uh, why would the USL seek this spot and why did they deserve it? Well, the Champions League has allocated a certain number of spots, but ultimately that's divvied up by the home uh, federation. So that, those, those are allocated by U.S. soccer, uh, and they allocate them based on first division and, uh, and their national cup competition. Um, and that's, that's how it is around the world, right? So to think about a second division getting into that model, uh, I appreciate that is not the norm. Um, the other competition as well is the, uh, the CONCACAF League, uh, and those uh, spots are determined by CONCACAF and its members. Um, we have met with the leadership at CONCACAF, and um, although it is not something that they are um, initially thinking, um, they are listening because, uh, you know, the CONCACAF is trying to build its brand and its tournaments in the in the U.S., uh, and trying to build some relevance. And it needs to do that in markets that the USL is in, not necessarily the major markets that it has or it holds Gold Cup uh, events in. And so we are in, you know, 18 of the top uh, 50 DMA markets uh, in the US. We offer a significant media and commercial opportunity and brand building opportunity 
for CONCACAF and their tournaments, which has done a phenomenal job of, of building up uh, and, and improving and uh, need to keep doing that. Um, from, from our point of view, uh, we've got, um, as I say, some, some significant uh, size markets that we operate in. We've got uh, 22 soccer-specific stadiums. We've got a billion dollars of infrastructure um, that works right now in stadia across the country. We have last season 64 senior internationals. We have 26 players playing in the Gold Cup for CONCACAF nations. Uh, we have the quality on the field. We have the market size. We have the stadium infrastructure. Um, and as we think about size and scale of leagues in the CONCACAF region, uh, I would say arguably after MLS and League MX, um, the championship is the, is the third largest league in size and scale uh, and arguably quality. And so, yes, it's a second division, but it's unique in that compared to a lot of the other nations in the CONCACAF region. And so our feeling is our teams would certainly not disgrace themselves. We'd certainly do well in the competition, whether that was the Champions League or the CONCACAF League itself, um, by which the, the, the top teams can progress through there into the Champions League. Um, I think that uh, also is a great, um, would be a great starting point. I think our teams would do very well in the competition. I think it would add uh, to the calendar that we have already. And I think, I think the participation uh, of our teams in that competition and the ability for that competition to come into markets like uh, St. Louis and Phoenix and Tampa and Oklahoma City uh, would be good for everybody. So I think it's something that we are uh, very keen on. I think it has value. It's, there's work to be done there. This is not going to happen overnight, but um, we're committed to having those conversations and seeing if we can find uh, uh, a way through that makes sense for all. Well, you said it's not going to happen overnight, and I realized I have a little bit more time. And so speaking of not happening overnight, I got to ask you about ProRel. And definitely, you know, the first step you've said over over uh, multiple years now is possibility of an interleague cup to kind of lead to ProRel. Can you talk about those two things? Yeah, I think... Um... You know, this is something we all we also looked at this season as an option uh, in terms of interleague cup. I think, but you know, both of those interleague cup and promotion relegation are, um, you know, are, are things that are in, and I've said this before, are contingent on building up the size, scale, quality of League One. Now, we've got a, a tremendous amount of expansion ahead of us in League One. Uh, we've got uh, a, a, a list of fifty different cities that were uh, on the list. Uh, to consider, um, we're in active negotiations now and finalising stadium plans, etc., and, and opportunities with no less than 15 markets. And so there is uh, tremendous expansion and great groups, good cities, good communities, good stadium plans coming into League One. Uh, and we'll begin those announcements uh, towards the end of the year. We were hoping to be doing those in the middle of this this year, but not appropriate, obviously. But you'll start to see those announcements, and then more coming. And teams coming into League One as we build it out uh, fully uh, across the country over the next uh, two, three seasons. You've got to do that. You've got to get the infrastructure. And I say this all the time. You need the infrastructure in the division below. And you can go from there. You build it out from there. So it, it remains um, something we are very much uh, supportive of. We, uh, we, know, we understand the, um, uh, the impact it can have uh, to our league, to our clubs, to our fans and our, our partners um, remain committed to, to working through that. Um, right now, though, we're in the middle of a global pandemic. So I think for us, it's um, 
all the focus uh, is, and, and quite rightly so, has been on getting back on the field, uh, getting through this remainder of this season. Uh, and, um, uh, and and that's where the focus is now. So it's not really, it's, it's not really the time to be focused on promotion relegation, but uh, it is something that we remain uh, committed to working through. But as I said, uh, that will be contingent on some of the exciting expansion that's going to be coming in League One. Yep. I apologize, but uh, I'd be remiss in my duties if I had time to ask the question and I did not ask the question. Um, <laughs> let's wrap it up there. Um, do you have anything else you'd like to cover as far as what needs to happen for the rest of the season? Um, any any exciting stories that I might have missed here that you'd like to fit in at the end? No, I think I think we've covered a lot. Um, just appreciate your time and, uh, and I, I uh, hope the viewers can all get some, uh, the fans can all get some... Um, uh, time this weekend uh, and through the course of next week when we're going to be looking at eight prime time window uh, matches on ESPN2 over the next 11 days. So starting Saturday, you're going to see ESPN Deportes and ESPN2. And so um, tune in and, and see how it looks, uh, starting with a big showpiece uh, uh, opening of the stadium in Louisville on Sunday. But um, uh, exciting times. And thanks again, Phil, for your time and having me on. Yeah. And uh, before you go, I just want to say thank you. And um, I want to congratulate you. This is no small feat that you were able to piece this together. A um, lot of challenges for sure. And uh, a lot of major, major leagues in this country are having a hard time getting it together. So um, all the work is worth it. I want to thank you for bringing uh, the USL back to us uh, this season. Yeah, great stuff. Thanks for your support again. Talk to you again soon. Let's not leave it for two years next time, okay? Thanks, <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, Bill. Thank you.